0: Father, we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Jesus, we welcome you as king. May we receive you as you truly are. Come into this space, illumine your word through the power of the spirit, for the glory and honor of your name and our great good. Amen. Please be seated. My daughter Hallie was born over a year ago on March 19th. After my paternity leave my work routines remained mainly unchanged for the first week or two. I would return home, briefly say hi to the girls, grab a refreshing lime, LaCroix, walk into the back room, sit, and rest for a bit. And to my confusion, like clockwork, every day, Paige would bring Hallie in a few minutes later, hold her out to me and say, it's your turn. She expected me to watch her for the next hour so that she could get a break. I was frustrated. I didn't want to hold Hallie when I got home from work. Didn't she see that I had had a long day at work? I needed some downtime to unwind. I mean, come on. She'd just been home with an infant all day. How hard could that be? (laughs) Well, while you're chuckling, many of you can imagine how it went over when I verbalized some of those thoughts and expectations to Paige. I am honestly surprised I'm standing here today alive. (laughs) In front of you. I'm joking on that point. But uh, Paige was not sympathetic to my expectations after returning home from work. She expected me to watch Hallie after work because she was exhausted from nursing and taking care of an infant all day. You may or may not resonate with this exact experience. Regardless, we've all had experiences when our expectations and reality come clashing into one another. This similarly happens in Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's depicted in our Mark 11 passage this morning. For the remainder of our time, I want to enter into this story. I want to unpack some of the expectations and reactions of Jesus, as well as some of the other people around him. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem begins the culmination of his ministry on earth. It's one of these watershed moments. Since Mark 8, when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus has had his face and actions directly directed towards entering into Jerusalem. Expectations have been building, and we are now at the climax of the story. All of Jesus' disciples have been waiting and hoping for this arrival into Jerusalem. They expect Jesus to take charge Overthrow the ruling Romans as a strong, conquering political king. And they are elated at Jesus' entrance because they believe it confirms this narrative. Let's turn back to the text to see what they saw. Look with me beginning at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent Two of his disciples and said to him, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter in you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away, and they found a colt tied on a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? I want to pause here and and note that we have said the word colt three times. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming King of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Notice the word colt has been used four times in these verses. A colt, which is just a young male donkey, is a very important symbol in the Jewish imagination. When people saw Jesus riding in on a colt, it would have reminded them of that Zechariah 9 passage that we read this morning. I'm going to read for you verse 9 of that passage. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, A colt, the fold of a donkey. Prior to this moment, outside of an occasional boat ride, here or there, Jesus walks everywhere he goes. Thus, Jesus' decision not only to ride, but ride in on a colt, functions as this glorious declaration of intent. Jesus is revealing his identity in a dramatic and provocative way. He is the long-awaited Savior He's the long-awaited king. And he has no desire to hide this from anyone. And this is a dramatic shift. If, if you recall this uh, story of Mark prior to this entrance into Jerusalem, Jesus has intentionally and deliberately tried to keep his identity as the Messiah a secret. Anytime someone realizes his true nature, humans and demons alike, he tries to encourage them to remain silent. This is no longer the case. Jesus allows his disciples and crowds to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A parallel account in the Gospel of Luke adds that Jesus tells the Pharisees that if the disciples and the crowds didn't cry out in this manner, the stones themselves would herald his entrance. What an image. For context, Jerusalem is surrounded by stone walls, Tucked inside of rocky hills, the whole city and the surrounding hills would blanket with praise the city of Jerusalem, crying out with hope the salvation of God. The nation of Israel longed for salvation. Hosanna is a cry of praise that translates to, save us now. When the people declare this hymn from Psalm 118, They're pleading to God, who is in the highest realms, that He would save them from their current plight. And Jesus would indeed do this in the days ahead. But instead of a coronation, it's a crucifixion. So, what happened? How do we go from this triumphant procession to a traumatic prosecution? It comes about because Jesus didn't meet the people's expectations. As we mentioned earlier, the nation of Israel was hoping for this nationalistic king who would drive out the Romans and rebuild the Jewish nation state. This is why they chant nationalistic slogans in verse 10. Blessed is the coming king of our father, David. The Jews expected salvation to come in the form of worldly rule. David's reign as king were the golden years in the minds of Jews. Under his kingship, Jerusalem had power. It had wealth, land, fame, autonomy. Therefore, the people believed that their promised salvation came in the form of an end to Roman subjugation. This is why the crowds wave these palm branches. They throw down their cloaks. Palms symbolize triumph and victory. And the last time people threw down their cloaks, was when the Israelite ruler Jehu was proclaimed king at Ramath Gilead. The people were expecting a political event. When Jesus, but when Jesus marches into Jerusalem, they expect him to head straight to the Roman fortress and confront Herod, who was a figurehead of Rome. It was Passover, so Herod and a whole garrison of Roman soldiers are present in Jerusalem for this festivities, they're there to dissuade any form of rebellion or uprising. It's a show of force. So this would have been a perfect opportunity for Jesus to confront the Romans and inaugurate his worldly kingdom. And Yet as Jesus processes into Jerusalem, he does not go to the Roman fortress. He goes somewhere else. Where does he go? Turn back to our gospel text and look at verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus did not go and confront the Romans or take time to freshen up after his journey. He didn't walk around Jerusalem taking trendy photos for a social media page or he didn't secure a home for the Passover meal. No. He goes straight to the temple the location of worship within the jewish imagination the real and true expression of power and authority in the universe worship is jesus's primary priority and jesus expects his people to follow suit jesus enters the temple And from the first day and and for the first time since the days of the prophet Ezekiel, the fullness of God dwells within the temple walls. This should be a glorious, hopeful, and empowering occasion. The people finally have God's presence among them once again. Yet as we look at our text, we observe a sobering conclusion. God enters the temple, he looks around, and he leaves once again. Jesus comes back the very next day, and he deliberately makes a whip and cleanses the temple of the money changers. Jesus is incensed because a place of prayer has been transformed into the epicenter of profit, greed, and thievery. It's the culmination of humanity's self-centeredness and warped agendas, When it comes to God. As king, Jesus passes judgment on the people. They're guilty of self-absorption, works righteousness, and fruitlessness. As foretold in Malachi 3, the king comes like a refiner's fire and a launder's soap to purge wickedness and sin. The heartbreaking fact is that Jesus didn't want to do this When he visits the temple, he longs to find his people in worship. God's people were created for worship. Humans are best able to enjoy this world when they consistently focus on God. The reason for this is that worship transforms hearts, transforms our minds, and it transforms our expectations. When we worship, the spotlight's no longer on us. It's directed upwards towards God who dwells in the heavens. Worship tunes our hearts to receive rather than demand. It causes us to be grateful rather than to gripe. It puts us in a posture of open hands. It makes us available to God and receptive to what he wants to do in, through, and for us. The people of God missed Jesus because they were preoccupied with their own agenda, their own expectations. They were looking for the king to ride in like the Caesars of old on a strong, white, valiant war steed. Instead, their savior and their king comes riding in on a young and humble colt that he even plans to immediately return to his owner after he's done with it. Their expectations blinded them to the reality that Jesus is a king who came not to plunder wealth, but to purge from sin. Not to subjugate through force, but to spiritually save through sacrifice. Many of us here today have wrong expectations of God and his work in the world. Rather than noticing the movement of God and receiving Jesus with gladness, We pick and choose how we want to see him. We pick and choose how we expect him to act. When I was a boy, my typical routine as I entered into any restaurant was to check the gumball machine and the chiclet machine. Do you all remember chiclets? Those little square round pieces of candy? At the restaurant, I'd get on my hands and knees and look under the machines trying desperately to find a quarter so I could get some candy. If I didn't find that quarter... I'd try and turn the handles repeatedly. I'd shake the machine trying to get at least one little chicklet to fall. (laughs) Many of us treat God like a candy machine. We put in a quarter and we expect a gumball. And if that doesn't, if that gumball doesn't come out, we become disappointed, annoyed, and angry. We end up shaking that machine because, golly, we deserve what we want. If nothing comes from our efforts... We turn our backs on that machine. We put our money elsewhere and, oh, by the way, we're going to tell all of our friends that that won't give you what you want. It'll take your money and your satisfaction. Jesus is not a convenient gumball that can be bought. We cannot pick and choose our Jesus based on our situations or our preference like he's some a la carte menu. But many of us try. Try. When we are crossed, we call upon Jesus' judgment, disregarding his compassion. When we're caught in a sin, we appeal to Jesus' love and forgiveness, forgetting his holiness and call to repentance. We cling to Jesus' hope and security for eternal life, but we hedge our bets with worldly comforts. Our passage reminds us that Jesus can't be fragmented. His characteristics are not like a buffet. So what have you been a la carte ordering from Jesus lately? Where have you been expecting Jesus to show up on a war steed as a king of privilege rather than on a cult as a king who suffers and serves? Do you expect God to grant you some form of worldly success or financial comfort? Do you believe Jesus exists to provide you with emotional happiness or physical healing? Do you think God owes you a certain amount of influence or recognition in your daily affairs? Might even your religious expectations venture into the realm of our current political climate or pandemic outworkings? Many of us have been so preoccupied and distracted by worldly situations and temporary hopes that we have been blinded to the real Jesus right in front of us. But the glorious news of this Holy Week is that Jesus never acts based on your expectations. Jesus is like a, like a wild lion that cannot be caged. He continually reveals and confronts us with life-altering power of his true nature. This morning... Jesus wants you to lay down your expectations that are self absorbed and misguided. He wants to renew you through selfless worship. He wants to draw you in to the temple. He's calling you to realign your spiritual spine and receive all that He has for you with open hands. We don't need Jesus' help to confront the Roman political powers in Jerusalem. We need him to save us from ourselves. We need to be rescued from our tendency towards tribalism, addiction, anger, selfishness, and greed. From our propensity towards overzealousness or passivity. We need to be redeemed from our foolish expectations of worldly glory and our propensity to self-justify our sinful actions. Again, The wonderful news of this week rooted in the holistic gospel story is that this is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to pay the price that we could never pay so that we could have the life that we could never earn. He came to die for our twisted expectations and be raised to inaugurate our transformation. Our way forward in this coming week is through faith, and worship. Transformation comes not by working harder to fix ourselves, doesn't come by crowbarring our affections, but by trusting and believing more holistically in the work of Jesus that He's already accomplished. We must remind ourselves and believe that Jesus can do infinitely more than we can ever ask or imagine. We worship Him so that He might renew us from the inside. Friends, let God do the heavy lifting this week and complete the redemption that He has already set in motion. Recall the story of the first two disciples who obtained that cult in the first half of chapter 11. They are our model for the days ahead as we live by faith, trusting in the promptings of the Lord. These disciples were average Joes like you and I, they weren't super Christians. They, too, were likely confused at times by Jesus' commands, even the one about the cult. They may have had questions or slightly doubted that they would even find something that Jesus had said. And yet despite these concerns, it didn't stop them from carrying out Jesus' instructions. The text says that they went and they found the colt tied outside in the street. They were willing to take a risk, not because they were naive but because they knew Jesus' character and his track record. They believed in his authority and his power and were glad to have a part to play in this story. They didn't need to understand everything that lie ahead. They just had to follow through on what Jesus asked of them. And when Jesus requires something, he always provides the way. When they were confronted, as verse 6 reads, they simply answered as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. When we focus our hopes and expectations on the movement of God, we experience the miraculous. We are able to ex- participate in extraordinary moments here on earth when we listen to Jesus and his invitation. Like the disciples, we simply have to say, yes, Lord, and follow promptings as we enter into this holy week will you say yes lord will you welcome jesus his death will you believe and celebrate his transforming resurrection this week as he enters in not in a donkey but through his spirit what will he see will he find people in active worship of him with open hands ready to follow his invitations Or will he find people who are distracted, closed off, misguided by their own selfish expectations for the future? During Holy Week, let's set aside our expectations for who we think Jesus should be and receive him with open hands as he truly is. May this Holy Week be marked by authentic worship for our true King, our true Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you stand and join me as we worship the Lamb of God?